0: Porter's mystery donor and Morrison's problem with accountability, education under attack, COVID updates, and good news on toilet training cows. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison, and joining me from the land of perpetual lockdown is the always magnificent Van Battam. How are you, Van?
1: It's still going, isn't it? Isn't it still going? Um, I'm all right. I miss you. I miss the dog. Um, I am enjoying the Sydney sunshine. That's something. Um, I mean, it would be nice to have any kind of personal encounter with anyone really, but, you know, as far as being trapped in a, you know, lifeless prison of ongoing torment, mismanagement and misery, like... You know, it's good to be by the water, and that's the most important thing in Sydney, really, isn't it? But
0: um, I'm I'm
1: trying to, I'm trying to be groovy about it.
0: If you've got to be (laughs) trapped in an ongoing torment of misery and lockdown, it's nice to be by the water. Yeah, look, I think that's probably sums it up. Probably sums it up very, very well. Um, we will, of course, talk more about COVID. I do want to I do want to give a shout out, Van, to Australian Unions, the the uh, supporters and sponsors of the week on Wednesday. You know, in the last week or so, they've launched a great ad campaign encouraging people to get vaccinated. Obviously, that's such an important part of how we get ourselves out of lockdowns. Uh, and you know, the work that the union movement is doing to get people vaccinated to make sure our healthcare workers are vaccinated our disability support workers are vaccinated to make sure i saw new south wales unions new south wales won some uh financial support for workers who have to go and get tested or have a bad reaction to vaccinations you know this is great stuff that unions are doing and of course people can join their union they can join today can't they
1: Yes, you should join today. Uh, we love literally nothing more than hearing that people have joined their unions after listening to the show, like your membership is tax deductible, you join an organisation that fights for your individual and collective workplace rights, and also gives you a democratic voice to express your disquiet about the way this country is being run or really not run, um, an extremely powerful industrial and political level. So Every time you join a union by listening to this program, a flower blooms inside my heart. So please, please join. I need all the flowers I can get at the moment. I haven't seen Ben in three months.
0: So go to Australian Unions, that's australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for Week on Wednesday. And that just means that we know, we don't know your details, obviously, but then we get to get that warm, fuzzy glow that, opens the flower in our hearts to know that people have joined as a result of listening to this show. And do, of course, as always, share, subscribe, like, follow, talk about the issues that are in the show. The first issue I want to kick off with today, Van, is really a symbolic issue, in many ways, about a broader problem with the Morrison government and accountability. So,
1: that well, they don't like it; they they're not into it. It's not a value that they want to support. You know, it's so interesting, Ben, because I'm very old. As full disclosure, I'm I'm somewhat uh, longer old. in Come years on. than Benjamin. And I, ha- I am so old that I remember when conservatives and conservative politics were about protecting the integrity of institutions. That used to be a real conservative value, you know, this absolute well, defence of the well, establishment. Yeah, and, there and is I, what. I don't,
0: I don't want to cut you off because, but but I do want to I do want to stress the point that that's exactly the point that Malcolm Turnbull has come out with today. <laughs> Right, it's exactly the point you've just made. God. The same point, Malcolm. You and Malcolm on that uh, episode Q and A all those years ago. Turns out you agree on this because the story here, folks, is that Christian Porter, uh, a minister of the Morrison government, has accepted a million dollars in donations through a blind trust to fund his uh, recent defamation lawsuit. Now. A, Basically, that means that there's a million dollars from people who he doesn't know but not only doesn't know, can't identify, So it's it's effectively mystery money, right? Like it's mystery donations. And Turnbull's made the point that you've made, Van, that this flouts accountability. He's compared it to the idea of somebody walking into the Liberal Party room with a bag over their head and a sack full of cash saying they want to make a donation. (laughs) Um,
1: It sort of sounds like the best way for a Liberal to make friends at parties, but carry on.
0: (laughs) Um, So it's really an incredible um, situation. Frydenberg, Morrison's treasurer, has said it's within the rules and there's no problem. Oh, this is
1: always the defence. This is like, you know, Morrison flying back from Canberra to Sydney when everybody else is in like, oh, it's within the rules. It's within the rules. It's like the rules aren't really the point. It's respect for the Australian people, which is the point. That's literally the reason why Australian democracy exists. And if you write the rules,
0: like you make them whatever (laughs) Whatever you want them to be, don't you? They they're the government. They're literally the ones writing the rules.
1: I just dream of some moral leadership from these people. I mean, let's let's remember, like the influence that flows from the behaviour of government is is felt in every section of society. Paul Keating has that famous quote, you know, when you change the Prime Minister, you change the country. And we've gone from being a country of Big ideas, like on the on the labour side of politics, you know, the big policy initiatives and nation building, and infrastructure, and egalitarianism and equality, and even on the conservative side, like I, I obviously am no conservative, but you know, the John Howard vision of being relaxed and comfortable and boring and safe, and you know, the long <sighs> yeah, sleep yeah. of the Menzies era, I can because I did a creative arts degree, surprisingly useful, Force myself to imagine that there are communities of people who like that kind of thing. God help them. But, but what is the example flowing from Scott Morrison exactly? Be unaccountable. Flout the rules. Take everything you can get away with. Absolutely put your hands on the first freebie imaginable. Disrespect Australians. Make sure they know you're not like them. You get a
0: bit more. Well I mean you're absolutely right and I mean Elbow has called it unbelievable and absurd you know labor has has condemned this idea that Christian Porter should be able to accept a million dollars in effectively anonymous donations and, did, and the point we have
1: to resign from the Senate because he like he he ate a free pie or something like was some ridiculously minor thing I am so old I remember when Mick Young's um, career in federal parliament in the Hawke Keating years was destroyed by a failure to declare a Paddington bear in a travel suitcase well let's talk like, about
0: let's talk about the accountability side because there there is there is no accountability in the Morrison government. And, and actually, the, Morrison rewards ministers who manage to avoid accountability. You know, we'll come back to the transparency element, because there's some, some really, I think, shocking elements there. But you've raised the accountability. So let's talk about that. You know, and you've raised China. So let's jump straight to Stuart Robert, because Stuart <laughs> Robert oh, is God. a WA Liberal Party power broker. And And Malcolm Turnbull, it's amazing, isn't it? Who would have thought would go, oh, gee, that Malcolm Turnbull wasn't so bad. But Malcolm Turnbull dumped Stuart Robert from the ministry over what was at the time described as a quote-unquote private trip to Beijing where he was overseeing a mining deal involving a major Liberal Party donor and a meeting with a Chinese vice minister. This is when Stuart Robert was a minister, right? He was dumped from the ministry by Turnbull. Well, of course, in the Morrison government, you're rewarded for doing dodgy things and you're rewarded for avoiding accountability. He's being promoted. He's back. He's a minister for employment, and a bunch of other things. Just to give people a bit of a taste, his Wikipedia page lists seven different Wholly separate scandals spread across five different ministerial positions during the course of his ministerial career, which has only been has only been for the last six years.
1: Oh, he's amazing. Stuart he's- Robert is actually
0: from Queensland. Oh, I thought he was a WA. I apologise.
1: No, oh no, no. He's the member for Fadden. Look, I don't really expect you to know where he's from because he's he he's not really a think local like. um, Think global, act local, kind of guy. Like one imagines, he's not particularly. Given his interests, I include to
0: the people of Western Australia for besmirching them, <laughs>
1: unaccountability and a failure of transparency, uh, watches and computer fees. Like he's not, he's not really in it for what he can give back to the good people of the seat of Fadden. He's really in it for what he can take from them. Um, oh, he's a, like he's, but he's an not absolute the only one, shocker. Man. Oh he's no, of course one. not. But those wondering how. Uh, and here's like a bit of insider information. Those wondering how people like Stuart Robert possibly get pre-selected, possibly survive, why there isn't a horde of principled Liberal Party members, because they must exist. I mean they have to somewhere, um, demanding his head on a plate for his you know betrayal of basic Australian values It's apparently he's a very good fundraiser. He's a he's <laughs> the money man for the Liberal Party in Queensland and they just they don't want to let him go. So if you're if you ever wonder it's like how does that person maintain a career? There are generally two answers. One one, they bring in a lot of money and two, they vote the way they're told by someone more powerful. Let's, they can be rel- relied upon
0: to not rock the boat. Let's talk about not rocking the boat and the distribution of money because I think we do need to talk about Bridget McKenzie. So oh God. The Liberal Senator from Victoria. its actually one of the <laughs> few Morrison ministers to ever resign over a scandal. Uh, and resigned and said, no, no, Morrison wasn't involved in sports rorts. It was my office. Uh, I didn't do anything wrong, but I will step down. Now, Yeah, because when I
1: don't do anything wrong, I resign from things all the time. Yeah,
0: exactly right. You know, like that's that's exactly when I
1: resign from things. I'm like, look, my 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 rap sheet is spotless. I am blameless in all ways. I am a person of morality and integrity. Might as well resign. I mean, I guess in the topsy turvy land of the Liberal National Government coalition in the country, I mean, maybe that's a thing. Given the fact that if you are, you know, a reprehensible, unaccountable slimeball who's good at raising money. And you know, milking so, taxpayers for every dollar you can
0: find. I mean, you advance,
1: right?
0: So, so let's 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 re- let's visit uh, National Party Senator Mackenzie. I'm getting all of my details wrong today. I said Stuart Roberts from the wrong state. Bridget Mackenzie in the different party. She's the National Senator from Victoria.
1: We her haven't seen her in, exile, in there three months, people. We're a bit ropey. Yeah, yeah,
0: her time her time in exile is over. She's been reinstated. That reinstatement came with a hundred and fifty-two thousand dollar pay rise, and she's now been put in charge, and and this this blows my mind. So billions have been spent on bushfire reconstruction, and rightfully so, but she's now been put in charge of a separate two hundred and eighty million dollar pot of money for bushfire recovery grants. Now get this: the applications for these grants opened on the twenty second of July. 2021 for grants that, and I quote, will help communities affected by the 2019 20 bushfires. And decisions will be made on allocating this money from December 2021. Two years after the bushfire, there is a $280 million pot. Of money that the minister is going to dole out in amounts ranging from 20 grand to 10 million dollars to community groups in regional areas. Now, if that's not a giant barrel of pork, Mm, then Miss Piggy is a frog. Like, mm,
1: let's smear ourselves in pig fat. How lovely. Maybe yeah. we can get some more useless infrastructure out where we live, Ben, given the fact that, you know, that's the, the local brag and the National Party, you know, we've got that bridge. Got a Got that bridge. Got that
0: bridge. Got that, got bridge. that
1: bridge. Let's just, yeah, the, the bridge. Let's get more of them. Let's it's give just- billions of dollars to, you know, the lo- local lacrosse society. You know the Leon Gatha flats, you know Hat Club, or it is just so disgusting. It's disgusting, and it's obvious they're not a government; they're a grant distribution service. And let's, for electoral communities—that's all
0: they are. And let's be clear about this, right? Because the transparency element, the bit that that the Australian people can rely on to uncover when these things go wrong, the. the the body that uncovered sports rorts, right, the body that uncovered the payment of $30 million to a Liberal donor for $3 million worth of land. This is the Australian National Auditor's Office. You know, these are the the bean counters. And, and you know, I say that with absolute love in my heart because these are the best of the best bean counters. These I'm pro-beans.
1: I think if we're having beans, someone's got to count them. They personally. absolutely
0: have to. And, and these... This office has uncovered these rorts, this misspent money, right? It has no powers. Let's be clear. It has no power to punish misdeeds or recommend charges, but it is a form of transparency. And now- <laughs> well, then there wouldn't
1: be a cabinet, would there? Like, what would they do if they could punish well, misdeeds? Well, it's, it's like, had
0: who 14, would be in
1: charge?
0: it Scott Morrison's mum, like- It's had $14 million cut from its budget, right? Oh, surprise. Even a price. But even the Liberal backbenchers- On the committee that oversees these things, I mean, you know, this is why people think democracy is such a a, a poorly constructed sausage, right? The committee that oversees the office, that oversees the spending of the money, but the the committee chaired by a liberal has said we should put more money into this because transparency is important. The Australian people have a right to know how their money is spent because it's being spent like this. At the same time, you know, we have no anti-corruption commission in federally, and it's been a thousand days, over a yep. thousand days, a
1: thousand days since Scott Morrison promised there was going to be an integrity commission. Promised, a thousand absolutely, days. thousand days, no sign of. Oh, he's been very busy. I mean, he's had curries to make, and chicken coops to build, and you know, photos from funerals to. to put on the internet pretending, oh, I mean, it's just it's just theatre. It's just theatre from these people. But I tell you what makes me really concerned, Ben, is the the absolute arrogance of the Liberal Party and their philosophy of governing. And it's something that I want every, every Australian um, and, you know, the people who would describe themselves on the centre-right or as conservatives to really consider. How is it... That we've got to a stage where we've got a government who just rots. They rott money. They their sport rots. Car park rots. Bridget McKenzie in charge of giving out bushfire recovery money is literally like, you know, putting the Hamburglar in charge of the burger truck. Like it's it's total. It's an insult. It's madness. It's disgraceful. And yet they keep making these decisions. You fail upwards in the Liberal Party and in the National Party in this country. Well, and be Joyce is a Deputy Prime Minister, like, and this constant procession of rorts and scandals. So what does it say, everyone? What does it say that they think they can behave like this and yet still get elected? Like, well, What do they know about how elections work or power works or, or the community works to be so absolutely convinced that they can win the next election. And I don't want everybody to have a think about this in the context of how money gets spent in elections and who's got that money and where they spend it and how and what the levels of plausible deniability might be between the people with that kind of money and the Liberal Party but how everybody's agenda sort of suits one another. And let's be fair, it's not, you know, there are no compromises that come from Liberal government to keep them in power, they do whatever they want. There are no compromises that come from the people who hand out the money, they do whatever they want. The compromise sort is of the Way of life and the standard of living of the Australian people. Because every single dollar that gets misappropriated, that gets rorted, that gets spent in the wrong direction is a dollar that didn't go into making our communities resilient, is a dollar that didn't go into solving our collective problems and making Australia stronger. And I think everybody should be disgusted by that. What do the Liberals know? that make them think they can. I'm not, and obviously I'm not talking about mm, electoral mm. rigging. We're very lucky in this no, country. Yeah. We have an amazing independent Australian Electoral Commission and every day I get up in the morning and I thank God that we have it. But what does it say about what they know about campaigning and how did exactly they win the last election? Because well, th- it's interesting was- how much disinformation I saw online. Did you see a bit of disinformation, Ben?
0: Absolutely. And I think, I think Van, what, what you... What you're saying brings us to the third, uh, the third of the rogues gallery that that I want us to touch on today, because the car park rorts were part of the misallocation of money designed to buy votes in outer suburban marginal seats. Uh, clearly, an attempt. Clearly, an attempt to sway the election. You know, coupled with, of course, as you've rightly pointed out you know, the activities of people like Clive Palmer and his eighty million dollar ad campaign or sixty million dollar ad campaign, however many tens of millions, all designed to sway votes, all designed to get people to to really ignore the litany of, as you say, misspent, misallocated, rorted funds. And the fail upwards mentality of these people, to so Alan Tudge. Alan Tudge, oh, because when you talk yeah. about when you talk about money not going where it's needed, Alan Tudge is, I think, the classic example. He's now the education minister. <laughs> he, he was the minister yeah. responsible for urban infrastructure and the car park Rorts scandal. Alan Tudge is also, by his own admission, a minister who had an affair with a member of his staff who was then shifted into another minister's office, the same minister who, Kalia Cash, the minister where Brittany Higgins was shifted to, and just like Brittany Higgins, she soon found herself out of work in politics as well. Alan Tudge, as education minister, has cut university funding. ten thousand
1: jobs. Forty thousand jobs—they're talking about and from the university and sector.
0: Tim, huge cuts, huge cuts, right? And now goes on Triple J, goes on Hack, and says he doesn't want Anzac Day to be presented as a contested idea. Doesn't like the way some parts of history are presented in the curriculum. You know, this is a man who, frankly, history should judge incredibly harshly by the by the values that he says. He upholds the very things he says he believes in. He has clearly hypocritically broken again and again and again. And as education minister, he's cut 10% out of university budgets, 24% out of TAFE budgets. One in five jobs in universities have been destroyed under the Morrison government. You know, this is a man who has failed upwards to one of the most senior roles in the cabinet. Morrison oh, rewards dis- this disgraced. kind of behavior. Yeah, of
1: course he gets rewarded because he's, you know, he's doing the work and the work is reallocating resources from people who need it and jobs for Australians and the integrity of the community towards, you know, making the rich richer, the donors more donor capable or whatever else. And we know that. We know this is how they work, you know, buying seats so they can infinitely stay in parliament, you know, funding their self-promotion campaigns and then they turn around and let's have a bit of a culture war. Oh, you know, it's outrageous that people criticize Australia Day. Oh, it's outrageous people criticize Anzac. I just find it I love it when conservatives get into history wars because it's like, you know, you can you can absolutely impoverish an education system. You can cover up the truth, you can quash learning, you can sack lecturers, you can engage in the most vile acts of structural censorship. Imaginable, all while calling yourself hilariously the Liberal Party and pretending that you care about free speech. You can do all of those things. History, unfortunately, doesn't go away. You can't actually change the established facts of things that happen, they have repercussions. You know, and you can see, let's have a look at the United States of America and the fact that they have one of the most like incredibly politicized syllabus and textbook systems in the world where you have every like, you know, crackpot conservative rewriting history and we're not gonna talk about we're not really gonna talk about slavery, and we're not really gonna admit the causes of the civil war, and we're not gonna do this and we're not gonna do that. Well, it, it doesn't matter if you don't talk about those things, because the legacy and repercussions of those events are still with you. Like you may not want to talk about the truth of the Civil War, but Sherman like absolutely economically destroyed the South and they still live in the consequences of things that happened in the 1860s economically, socially, financially. There is a massive problem with structuralized racism in America that makes parts of that country completely dysfunctional and it will continue to be dysfunctional as long as people don't choose to acknowledge the truth. And, you know, we like we can all like put our slouch hat on and dress up in our supermarket, bought Anzac apparel or whatever the hell Alan Tudge wants us to do and, you know, wrap ourselves in the flag and sing a song. It doesn't actually... You know, replace what happened.
0: And let's, you be, know, let's like- be really clear too about the idea, the, the <laughs> concept that Anzac Day shouldn't be con- contested. An- Anzac is a is a contest. The the whole concept of Anzac comes about because of contested idea, contested idea of an empire versus democracy. Right? The idea that Australia and New Zealand, as fledgling democracies, part of the British Empire, you know, were contesting the expansion of the Ottoman Empire and the German Empire, right? And and inevitably, we have extracted ourselves, although not fully, from the concept of being part of an empire ourselves. You know, th- that you would somehow or another go, well, nothing ever bad happened. Nobody in a slouch hat ever did anything bad. Nothing of a bad happened apart from those millions of deaths. Well, And that's the thing. You can't separate the reality of what's happening now. You know, we see it in the news now that Australians are accused of and some have committed crimes against civilians while wearing the Australian uniform and to say, oh, well, that didn't happen or we're just going to gloss over that or it's all about, you know, Simpson and his donkey and mateship and, you know, yeah, there are things to be proud of about Australia. I'm very proud to be an Australian, as anybody who knows me knows. I think this is a great country. But if you think you can be a great country and ignore the negative things about your country, whether historical or current, you will not be a great country for long. No, because no. It's addressing you won't be- those issues. It's addressing the issues that hold us back that makes us a great country. I feel I should put on record, I rather like Anzac Day. Um, I like it because,
1: I mean, I grew up in the RSL movement. My dad worked for the RSL for a really long time. It was dawn services and, um, like, communities of veterans. My grandfather fought in the Second World War. I'm very proud of that. I'm really proud of the fact that a working-class man from the southern suburbs of Sydney took up arms to fight fascists and risked his life to stop the spread of Global fascism, I think that's an amazing legacy to inherit and I hope I do his memory proud every day. And I also think it's important to have rituals that acknowledge like bravery and courage and sacrifice and the complex ideas about democracy and defending it and what it takes. Like what does it mean to be a person who respects all human life and believes everyone is born equal and then go, unfortunately I'm going to have to kill some people to defend that idea? I mean these are complex and difficult subjects. Absolutely. You know, and what does it mean? Like out of the First World War came some like incredible movements of social change in this country, but it was also an imperialist war and we were a colonial country that existed on the bodies of hundreds of thousands of dead Indigenous Australians. What does that mean? Like. Why are we so afraid of having a discussion around that? Of re-evaluating what our rituals and our symbols look like, so they remain meaningful and they remain honest, and we can actually do something with them? Like empty, fake rituals just create empty, fake people. CF, Alan, freaking
0: Todge. And and let's let's be really honest about. (sighs) Let's be honest about the fact that actually mad praising blindly praising every element of our own history without contextualising it, without thinking critically about what it means, has allowed people to reinterpret all national histories in a way that has seen the rise of the far right again. Mm. You know, a movement that killed millions and millions of people that that we fought for, that fought against, that we fought to stop has, has taken root again and has taken root in Australia to the point where the Victorian government has banned Nazi paraphernalia and to the point where, you know, we'll get into the COVID stuff in a moment, but in Victoria this weekend on Saturday, they'll be shutting down public transport because the far right are mobilising You know, you want to talk about the Anzac legacy, Alan Tudge. Talk about the fact that Australians stood against fascism. Australia stood against imperialist Japan. That's what we stand for. We stand for democracy. We stand for the right to express ideas, to contest ideas. That as repugnant as I find the Liberal Party ideology on almost every front, I don't Believe that they should be put in labour camps, and I don't believe that they should be banned from operating. We should be able to have the debate.
1: And absolutely, in fact, and this is a point worth acknowledging: fascism thrives when the centre right gets sloppy. Yeah, this is historical reality. The far-right, the fascists, are a centre-right problem. And you can see in the United States that when the Republican Party swung behind Donald Trump Suddenly, they had a fascism problem because suddenly authoritarianism and uh, you know the kind of nepotism and hierarchical control that are, of course, the gateway drugs to full-on institutional authoritarianism, represented by the movement of governmental fascism. Suddenly, those things, those ideas, become possible. Yeah. you know and suddenly that that can't that cancerous ideology of fascism starts taking over institutions like it is it's really interesting so everybody knows I'm a fan or anybody who follow, follows my work you know there's legions millions of people um, that's me being hilarious, everyone. I'm very fond of the never-Trumpers in the United States, um, and this is not because I have much in common with them ideologically, and we're talking about your Bill Crystals and your George Wells, people who, by the way, during the Cold War, I thought were the assembled ranks of the Antichrist yeah. because they were neocons and neoliberals yes. building an economic system that I despise, but these are people who with the ascendancy of trump read the historical example and went yeah no this is incredibly dangerous and if we don't defend bulwark values of principled conservatism respect for institutions transparency accountability the rule of law like where we are on the slippery slope to total annihilation and they are dead right and they have a magazine called the bulwark which i read which is very interesting to consume ideas Mm. from literate educated central Right people. It's not an experience you have in Australia very often, um, but certainly. This is the issue, and this is why this stuff around Morrison and accountability and Stuart, Robert, and Alan Tudge and their you know vacuous culture war garbage at the same time they're rorting millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars is so important because where is the bulwark to the to the shift? Where is what happens to these institutions if they're defunded and denuded and degraded? If the rule of law is kind of wishy washy and oh well you know it's technically legal, it was technically by the rules. It's not about the rules, it's about the principles and it's about believing in them. And and investing in them and defending them, so you can literally keep the fascist barbarians on the other side of the gate and away from centres of power.
0: And Van, let's let's talk about the centres of power that that I, I hate mean, fascists. Absolutely, I mean I hate fascists, and and every decent Australian should hate hates fascists. fascists. Every decent Australian, and I, and I don't care what political party you vote for, as long as you're not voting for the fascist party, right? Like. Or letting them
1: go to Liberal Party meetings or letting Absolutely. them slyly, the f- slyly join the National Party in have- New
0: South Wales, which was going on for a while. There is no place for fascists in Australia. Let's be really clear about that. Because uh, what I do want to talk about, though, is this education piece, because we've touched on it already, you know, the cuts to education, the casualisation. In in the past, we've talked about the fact that, you know, there was a time in Australia where if you worked in a university, people would think, certainly when I was growing up, that you worked in an ivory tower, right? Like job for life, good conditions, great pay. 70%, and this number has gone up, 70% of the workers in the university sector are casuals. Right? This is a this is a huge problem. When you undermine education, when you weaken the institutions of learning, of training, of knowledge. You make it easier for fascists to manipulate, to connive, to convince, to influence and shift people's mindsets. And that's effectively what's going on. You know, the good news on this is that the NTU, the National Tertiary Education Union, is right now, we're in the middle of it, is running a week of actions to try and get more secure work in this sector. It's a hashtag secure jobs um, take a selfie, hashtag it, post it on your social media. There's also a mass digital meeting on Friday with the leader of Australian unions, sponsors of this show, um, Sally McManus and the Yay, NT.
1: Sally McManus, she's the our best. Good friend,
0: our good friend and comrade, Sally McManus, and the NT. Duran, National-
1: Duran, hair done, <laughs> S- Sally McManus. There have been some awesome lockdown photos of her coif. Uh, on Instagram, I must say. She looks so badass.
0: <laughs> and, of course, the NTU national president, Alison Barnes, also a very good, very staunch comrade. They, you know, the workers in this sector are standing up against the fascists because the ideas of fascism are infiltrating into the university sector, right? They're not. They're not operating in isolation. They're not just... Putting out misinformation on Facebook. They're looking at every avenue, any crack in the armour of our democracy, these people, these fascists will seek to exploit. So supporting Supporting the university sector, supporting TAFE, supporting the workers in those sectors is absolutely vital. It's absolutely vital to having a healthy, thriving democracy. So please yeah, and I want people to
1: understand out. like the threat of fascism isn't just the boneheads with swastikas, you know, tattooed on their hairless skulls. All right, that's not that's that's a that's a manifestation. But those those ideas of fascism, which are Exclusionary hierarchical systems, like no egalitarianism, a self selecting elite. Who tells you what you can and can't have based on their own predilections? The concentration of a power of power in an unaccountable, unassailable few. Like, we know that this is what happens when institutional support is withdrawn, when, you know, accountability and transparency are, da- are downgraded as values. Like, it is a fascist idea to be unaccountable. It is a fascist idea to pursue power for power's sake. It is a fascist idea to impose hierarchies of privilege that are based on the dispensation of favour, not on merit, not on achievement, not on inclusion. And that's what Ben means when he talks about the spread of fascist ideas to universities, because this is the reality of when institutions become weak, they get taken over by this Absolutely. kind of ideas. Absolutely, you know, And it's a gradual process
0: absolutely it's it's pretty rare that you'll wake up one day and suddenly be in a fascist totalitarian regime it you see it coming and it is and it's always coming this is what we have to remember right there are always there are always small cabals of fascists out there who want that power and how successful or otherwise they are depends on all of us and how we allow that to flourish or how we make sure that the light of democracy, the transparency, the accountability, the very fact that we work collectively through unions and communities to make sure that fascists can't take power, that's what holds it back. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's all of our responsibility.
1: And this is the thing, you know, like I want to engage with principal people on the centre-right. Like I want to engage with them about things like, institutional perseverance and democracy and the rule of law and how we can make the rule of law like accommodate difference and overcome marginalization that can be a shared project absolutely if you want a, a nation of law and order you can have one if that includes people equally I'll facilitate that I want everybody to to be enfranchised to live in peace and security like obviously we can find that common ground in an ideological discussion for Alan Tudge to pick Anzac Day, of all things, to have his little culture war moment about, you know, I think probably you've got a few wars in your own life to sort out. Love may be fun if you are those,
0: you know. If you want to take a moral position on something, make sure you're not knee deep in a moral swamp would be my yeah. first piece of advice.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, um, but it's also that represents the absolute performance of dedication to ideas of better nations, of nations that stand for, you know, principles of freedom and, you know, and collectivism and collective uh, collective sacrifice. That's actually what Anzac Day is supposed to commemorate. Absolutely. And what are you doing in your political career, Minister of the Crown, to advocate or defend any of those values? I just keep coming back to the word vacuous. Vacuous, it is, Alan. It is vacuous. There he goes. Vacuous Allen having a bit of vacuity as he Allen's about.
0: <laughs> Van, I do want to touch on a, an <sighs> issue that some of our listeners raised with us over the last week, and that is that in Victoria, teachers are currently in negotiations around their paying conditions. Um, and please, if you are aware of uh, other uh, industries or, or major companies or, or just any really issues where workers are standing up for better conditions, uh, please do let us know. Because in Victoria, they're currently voting on whether or not to take industrial action. It's hashtag support school staff. And there's a big gap, frankly, between where the Victorian government is saying a 2% per annum increase uh, and, the, and the teachers uh, are saying, look, actually, we need to do a bit of catch-up here. We're, we're a fair way behind. Uh, we're, we're asking for seven. So do keep an eye out for that. Of course, there'll be possibly repercussions for people around that, but it's important that we support our educators. We've just been talking about how important education is and who delivers that education? It's teachers. It's teachers, it's lecturers, it's academics. We need to support all of them.
1: Yeah, we should absolutely march side by side with them. You know, one of the reasons why Australia is great, and I believe this country is pretty great, not flawless, because that would be a lie, but pretty great, is because you had militant teacher ins in this country who fought for ed- egalitarian and accessible education standards. Like I remember being a kid in the 1980s and, you know, teachers in New yeah. South Wales taking rolling strike action to ensure that, kids like me, like, you know, state school kids from working-class families had quality educational opportunities that would allow us to thrive. Well, then, and my solidarity is always with teachers because they are the ones who fought for the right to me, for me and people like me to have those opportunities.
0: Absolutely. Me, me as well. And uh, for any of our listeners who are interested in those sorts of histories, uh, you'll find Sally McManus talks about her first experience of unionism being attending a teacher strike in New South Wales as well. So, those New South Wales teacher strikes, I think, were formative for many people. Van,
1: Look- yeah, and, and Sally and I worked out that we were at the same demo on the same day.
0: Yeah, amazing. And isn't in it?
1: Sydney, in the Domain, in <laughs> it would have been in like nineteen eighty nine, maybe. And yeah, and we were both there, a crowd of eighty thousand people, and both teenagers going. Yeah, like,
0: let's rip it up. So talking about New South Wales, I do want to give a shout out to the On The Job podcast, which is the official Australian Union's workplace uh, it podcast with uh, Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. Their episode this week, they're actually talking to some health sector workers who are involved in caring for people uh, around covid uh, and they they're from new south wales you know i think it's a great podcast on the jobpodcast.com.au really and support them because they're story. our friends
1: francis and sally they're good folk
0: yeah and it's a really important story um, not that their other weeks aren't but this week in particular i think is a hugely important story so i'd really encourage people to listen to that those new south wales health workers are really under the pump and they're likely to be more under the pump into the future, because COVID in New South Wales, as we touched on before, isn't getting isn't getting particularly better. Fifteen thousand active cases at the moment. Twelve deaths today in New South Wales. And I want to, I just want to make this point. I've made it online a couple of times that when we talk about the deaths from COVID, you know, there's there's this sort of um, right wing view, oh well people die from the flu and people die all the time and you know, people die, that's what happens. Well let's put it into let's put it into context, right? Because they want to talk about context. So let's put it into context. Nine of the twelve people who died today in New South Wales from COVID were younger than the average age of death. Nine out of twelve. And half were likely to be younger than the retirement age in this country you know this is not this is not people who are sickly in bed and are, are on their last legs. These are people in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s who are dying from preventable, what is a preventable disease. Now, yes, it's nobody likes lockdown. The ACT's got four more weeks of it. Yas has gone into lockdown. My hometown of Ballarat, where my family, lives they're having a lockdown now for seven days. nobody likes that. that's not nobody wants that right? But until we get to a really proper level of vaccination in this country and I don't, I don't and I don't mean you know this sort of the mumbo jumbo figures like what do you know do you, are you across where things are up to today in New South Wales van what what they're talking about with lockdowns and vaccinations? I
1: can't bear it. What's the latest? I'm sorry everybody. I know this is a news podcast, but you know, I'm under extraordinary amounts of psychological pressure at the uh, pressure at the moment. There's only so much I can take on board during a yeah, day. No,
0: fair, oh, fair the enough. glory
1: of podcasts to allow us to be so
0: intimate fair and fair enough too. Well, look, I mean I don't, I'm not I'm not going to pretend to know what mumbo jumbo numbers they're throwing around. Uh, number jumba numbers. Well, that's what they are really because, you know, I hear 60%, oh, we've reached 70, oh, we've reached 80. The, the number that counts is the number that is fully vaccinated. That's the number that counts because the USA, it's just over 50% fully vaccinated. And in some parts of the country, their hospital system is totally overwhelmed. In the UK, it's six six 6.5 out of 10 roughly, 65% fully vaccinated, and they've increased their deaths almost doubled the weekly average. You know, those, those numbers are still seeing large amounts of hospitalisation and death in the community. In Australia, putting aside the mumbo-jumbo, the actual vaccination rate is about one in three fully vaccinated. Now it's growing and it's good that it's growing. We encourage everyone to get vaccinated. If you can get vaccinated and you don't get vaccinated or you choose not to get vaccinated, you are putting yourself, but more importantly, your friends, your neighbours, your community, your workmates in danger. And that is un-Australian. That is the sort of thing the Anzacs would not have stood for. One in three Australians are currently vaccinated, right? In Portugal. 8 out of 10. Canada, 7 out of 10. Those are the kinds of vaccination numbers we should be aiming for. When we talk about eradicating measles and we talk about eradicating polio and smallpox, it doesn't happen at 1 in 3. It doesn't happen at 3 in 10. You know, it happens at 8 out of ten, nine out of 10 people being vaccinated. That's where it really, really starts to matter. So, you know... Today, I saw one of the, um, I think it was the liberal opposition in Victoria, you know, accidentally said they wanted lockdown to immediately end. And what they meant was the curfew, all this sort of politicization of the issue, right? And it, and it. And it is being politicized, deliberately politicized by the right, right? By the far my mother.
1: Line. My mother has entered the chat, by the way, everybody. If you can hear someone sort of staggering in. <laughs> Hello, Barbara. Hello, everybody. Yeah, hi. Uh, Barbara Badham, <laughs> on Recording Wednesday. Recording a podcast, mum. How <laughs> oh, are you? How yeah. wonderful. <laughs> I'd just say good afternoon to everybody. Good. <laughs> that's great. We were talking about things like fascist influences and you know the collapse of anyway, resilience th- around healthcare. Anyway, yes, sure.
0: I think the uh, I think the point that I'm trying to get to here uh, is that we have to get vaccinated. There is there is a movement of people who are being influenced through foreign propagandists through fascism to fight against that, right, who want the chaos. You know, there's a bogus rally. The the Victorian police are having to shut down public transport on Saturday. Oh,
1: you know? and let's talk about that bogus rally. So the Secretary of Trades Hall in Victoria, Luke Hillicari, another good comrade of ours, had to put out a statement because... The you know the agents of foreign influence, and they are agents of foreign influence because these anti-lockdown protests have been coordinated by people in Germany. You and I have talked about this on the show yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have been putting out bogus material claiming that um, various unions are supporting these demonstrations, which is a lie. It is not fake one, news. Not one
0: union. Let's be really clear about that, and everybody. There is not a union in the country of Australia that supports the idea that people should attend a super spreader event and not that, that, that's it full stop that's the end of that statement not yeah, one
1: but it is absolutely disgraceful the the lying the deceit the duplicitness of these people and and you make a really good point and this is this can't be underlined enough why is this happening why are there anti lockdown protests you know why is all this nonsense occurring, why aren't people doing the right thing? Because chaos is a ladder and causing chaos and division, there's a standard technique when you learn about political organising when you're recruiting for organisations. If your goal is your organisation, like your little political party or more movement or whatever, rather than the actual activist outcome, um, there's an old tactic where you go into the community meetings, whatever the grassroots kind of fora, and you pick a fight Because whoever sides with you on that fight is more susceptible to recruitment. And that's just, I mean, that's just standard political organising to know that. Those of us who think that the cause comes first obviously fight that with some energy. But this kind of chaotic picking fights on the internet, sowing division, you know, this kind of aggressive, discursive incursion of these people is about recruiting one more person here and there, softening them up to the ideas of getting involved in these movements. You know, it's it's not rocket science. Like it's it's obvious why these things are happening. But, but be- I think that yeah, it's, be- it's
0: interesting to, to outline it because I don't, you know, you and I do a lot of uh, reading around politics. We do a lot. We've had a lot of political education. We've been very fortunate to, to have you know, significant political figures influence our lives and and help us with our thinking on this. But, you know, I think a lot of people, this will be the first time they're hearing that that's actually a tactic, that there there is a whole discourse about how you build your political organisation at the expense of the cause by picking fights, yeah, definitely. it's
1: not about it's not about the cause because, like, let's look at the anti-lockdown protests. It's not really about anti-lockdowns are not going to end because a bunch of jerks like surround a train station and punch horses, right? That's not actually going to end the public health response. What that is going to do is that your clueless cousin who believes everything he reads on the internet and goes along, you know, just to check out the ideas, gets transformed from a like from an observer to a participant by the action of going to that demonstration and might get a leaflet about coming to a meeting and then might be asked to make a small contribution to the meeting continuing and then might be asked to another meeting. And that's actually how people get mobilised into these, you know, groups and these organisations. Like people generally don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I just realised I'm a fascist, and I'm uh, going to apply to fascism online and just you know get involved. That's not actually how this works. Like it's a it's a process of political conversation, and in these ridiculous um, you know events that they keep having, like literally you know pro death gatherings because they are yeah, their super I spreader have. events. We know that. Well done. You know, that's it's just you only need to get that critical mass of one more person, one more person, one more person to extend your network and your influence. You know, when people turn around and go, but how did, you know, these fascists end up? And in America there's this ongoing conversation about how did these fascists end up in the army? Like how did these fascists end up in the police force? How did they end up, you know, in various government agencies? How does that happen? Well, it happens because they they enter a conversation in spaces that that exist to facilitate that conversation and are created deliberately to uh, to encroach on their ideas and shape a, a social reality that affects their worldview that's how this stuff works and that's why we absolutely have to crush it with the boot of democracy like because this is you know, absolutely their train should be canceled. Absolutely these protests should be demobilized when um when the lockdowns are over and it's safe to do so. Absolutely we should be counter-protesting them. We should have absolutely everybody on the streets surrounding them, shouting them down to make it very clear that these are not legitimate political positions, that they are the voices of a very dangerous minority. And I want people to be aware as well, looking at them as an anti-lockdown phenomenon. One of the reasons why these demonstrations are happening and happening so often, even though they are completely pointless, like politically, Mm -hmm. they're not going to reach their objective, is because this is a very rare opportunity for the far right to have uncontested space because... Everybody else from the, the centre-right onwards to the far left, we're all at home. We're all doing the right thing. We all prioritise our lives and the lives of other people in our community um, and, therefore, are not spreading the invisible killer virus as much as we possibly can. So this is an opportunity for them to go out on the streets without the counter-protesters, without, you know, the anarchist heroes who get in their way, you know, without the kind of social intervention that usually shuts them down and and that's why this is happening and happening so relentlessly so if you know anybody who's going to these demonstrations or participating in these kind of groups or whatever like it might be time for you to have a very honest conversation with that person about what they're getting involved in and maybe raise a few doubts about the integrity of the kind of activity they're engaging.
0: Maybe maybe share the link to this podcast with them is a good starting point. And, you know, I'm going to do it because I know you won't. But when maybe you should consider as a perfect gift for them for Christmas, QAnon and On, A Short History of <laughs> Internet Conspiracy Theories by Van Battam. Because there is lots of good information there around how these things happen, why they happen, how people get sucked into them. And, you know, the other thing is, too, you know, we talk about unionism in every episode. Yes, Australian unions are proud supporters of the show and we are proud union members. But it's also because, you know, Australian unions are running an ad encouraging people to get vaccinated as soon as it became as soon as unions in victoria became aware of that misinformation that false foreign propaganda they stood up and said this isn't this isn't real this isn't right you know unions communicate with their members they engage people they give people an opportunity an alternative an alternative way of politically organizing because you don't have to be you don't have to be in a fascist movement to affect change. In fact, you're more likely to affect long-lasting positive change by being in a union, by being part of the union movement, by being part of the democratic process.
1: Unions fight for
0: causes and principles. That's right.
1: They don't fight for cults of personality. That's not a thing we do on our side.
0: Absolutely, Van. Look, I'm keen for us to have some good news, and what I'm hearing I'm sorry is about all it, the sighing, everybody. It's just a sighing kind of day. Look, I think, I I think the whole nation is uh, is sighing at the moment. There's lots of, you know, lots of lots of negative things going on, but there are some positive things as well. And Van, I want to talk about the good news. On toilet training cows. There's a sense oh, <laughs> I never thought I'd say.
1: Uh, this has just absolutely blown my mind. This is wonderful. Okay, so there's an environmental problem with cows. We know there's an environmental problem with cows, um, and mass dairy, um, it, it, yeah, mass production dairy, it yep. creates terrible environmental problems, Large and it creates. Of methane. Yeah,
0: soil erosion, it, also so there are problems, it. I mean,
1: yeah, there are problems with soil erosion. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things about how Australia shouldn't have animals with hooves running around because they destroy native grass. Anyway, that's beside the point. Let's just focus on the issue at hand, which is that cow poo um, pollutes waterways. It can, you know, degrade, it contaminates local soil. It causes problems. Um, if you put cows into a big cow shed you also get the problems that you know the poor old cows are deprived from being out in the lovely sunshine and they are you know subject to factory farming conditions and basically wander around in their own faeces and urine all day which is unpleasant for everyone including cows and it's in those kind of massive i can never remember what they're called what are the big cow sheds called feedlots Feed lots. Yeah, those kind of farming systems, it just means that a lot of ammonia, which is, of course, greenhouse, um, gets produced when you concentrate it all there. So these, like, just I love, uh, despite, yeah, I'm just so into this.
0: We're going with you on it. Come on, we're going with you on it. Come on.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this wonderful team of researchers from Germany's Institute for Farm Animal Biology teamed up with a bunch of researchers from the University of Auckland. So Germans and New Zealanders, literally my favourite holiday, um, they <laughs> got together and they were like, well, maybe we could toilet train cows. Maybe maybe cows would, would if we could toilet train dogs, yeah. I mean, let's try cows. And then we can encourage them to poo in certain places and we can process that poo and make it useful and not um, a greenhouse producing soil contaminating waste, but something that can be reprocessed and turned into fertilizer, whatever. And they've spent some years, these researchers, trying out various different methods to train cows, to potty train cows. And it's worked. Like the research has come out and they, they worked out all of these sort of, you know, punishment yeah, yeah. reward systems to guide behavior. They worked with a team of 16 calves. Um, 11 of those calves were toilet trained at the end of the process. They did make this statement going, look, you can't, you know, Animals have personalities, and they are diverse, and they have different capacities. They're not they're not a homogenous mass. Like there are subjective personalities and identities. I'm sure vegans will be loving to hear this. Hello <laughs> to our vegan friends. Um, and it means that you know we, we have to work with what we've got, but it can be done. And so. Just- they worked out how to do it by, by spraying water on cows. Cows don't like being sprayed with yep. water when they poo, apparently. And um, and this really basic technology means that there's this incredible opportunity to minimise a really large environmental problem to do with cows.
0: Can I just say this is great news because I'm, I'm extrapolating this to mean that if you can toilet train cows, you can probably – Manage to train liberal and national ministers <laughs> to not be corrupt. I mean, yeah, if, look, if we've got I mean, the technology to toilet train cows, surely we can get to the point where our technology prevents that level of corruption. I think it's uh, great yes, news for everyone.
1: It requ- it requires attention and engagement, of course. But I just really cheer
0: and not, really not cheer me up. This story. Train.
1: Yeah, not every cow will be toilet trained, but the majority of them can be. And not every and that, Morrison minister can be weaned off
0: corruption. But yeah, but
1: maybe some could, of them enjoy the karmic punishment on the scale they <laughs> truly deserve,
0: and that's what keeps me going to be around to watch it. Fantastic, fantastic to hear from so many of our listeners over the last week who've joined their union, renewed their union membership, gotten involved, shared the story of their bargaining, shared the story of of their collective work together. Please do keep doing that. Please do share this podcast, do share the link wherever you've listened to this, pass the link along. You know, the more we can get these issues discussed, the better, the podcast continues to grow. Just really wanna give a big shout out to everybody who was so supportive of me having a day off on Sunday from the weekend wrap. He struggles
1: with it, he's a Protestant, but you guys helped him through.
0: So I appreciate that. I will be back doing the weekend wrap again on Sunday. And remember, like, share, subscribe, uh, do ev- do everything you possibly can. Don't forget and to thank join you. the union. And
1: thank you to everybody who's been so kind to us. I mean, Ben and I are really struggling with the separation and the hard border between us. I mean, it's an inconceivable thing to live through. But we survive because, you know, we've got such great friends and such great comrades who haven't forgotten us and and such great families. And we really appreciate all of you. Even those of you who don't know, who who we don't know, who send us lovely notes checking in to see if we're okay.
0: It's really touching and
1: we appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Well, until next week, love you, Vanny.
1: Oh, I love you too. I miss you terribly. Bye. Bye.